This is Shop Talk Radio, episode 42 with Jarek Robbins. Welcome to Shop Talk Radio. I'm your host, Nick Onken, and on this show, we're bringing inspiring guests to dive underneath the hood of the creative entrepreneurial lifestyle to bridge the gap between art, commerce, and inspiration. What is up, Shop Talk Creatives? Today, I'm just getting back from two weeks of crazy travel. I was in five cities in three countries and a couple of really cool assignments. I was down in Miami shooting three days for Cosmopolitan Magazine, developed some lifestyle imagery and a fashion story for them. And I was also in Ghana a week and a half ago shooting for Pencils of Promise, the charity that I support that builds schools for kids. If you haven't checked them out, pencilsofpromise.org. The founder, Adam, is on the podcast at shoptalkradio.com slash EP11, which brings me to how I met today's guest, Jarek Robbins. He supports Pencils of Promise as well and is highly passionate about education. Jarek is a man dedicated to helping professionals like you achieve success by living with purpose in your life and business. He's been cage diving with great white sharks, hanging out with silverbacks in Rwanda, whitewater rafting down the Nile, working as volunteer in underdeveloped regions, building powerful enterprises, and all-around adventurous guy. And the adventure breathes what he lives. Jarek is a coach that whose vision is to help people live their dream lives and break down what it takes to actually do that. Today's podcast, we break down what Jarek's philosophy, learn it, live it, and give it all means. And we also talk about how you can design your dream day, dream life, which completely aligns with my vision of helping people realize that they can create their own lives and design their life how they want it. Not only is Shop Talk Radio about creativity and the creative process, but it's also about life optimization because being a creative entrepreneur means much more than just being creative. You've got to make money with your art and that's what this is all about. And to make money with your art, you've got to learn and understand business and social skills and life mental optimization and so much more lifestyle design and everything. And that's why I want to bring guests like Jarek on the show is because I want to bring those aspects and bring that value to you. So my goal with the show is to bring value by bringing on guests that are going to teach you all aspects of creating your life. And Jarek is one of these people. So without further ado, let's jump in. Today, we've got Jarek Robbins on the show. Welcome to the show, Jarek. Thank you for having me. Good to be here. I'm super excited to have you on the show. I was just checking out your your TED Talk earlier, and I'm very fascinated to get into this podcast today because your your vision is very much in line with mine, and I'm all about people creating their lives and, and living what they want, but I want to hear your story, where you came from, what you're all about, what you're up to from your vision, your perspective. Cool. The simplest version of my story is I, I literally grew up in the personal development arena. My, my first seminar was in my mom's belly. <laughs> she was teaching people how to break through their fears by breaking bricks with their bare hands. And huh. my, my joke is through osmosis, I had to pick something up at that moment of life. 
Um, <laughs> first firewalk was in dad's arms at three months old. And I literally just grew up around seminars, behind the scenes, at seminars, in the audience, behind the audience, everywhere. And, and, and so I had a, just a really fast start education in the like personal development and improving yourself and setting goals and organizing a vision for your life and figuring out what you want, going for it and taking risks and all those really cool, simple key principles that allow people to really become their best selves. And so I took all that and got into school, um, originally going for a law degree because I thought it'd make a cool plaque due to parents advising that was not an option to just go to school for a plaque. <laughs> um, so when I did a little bit more digging in, I, I found, you know, my passion was always people. And mm. I, I can talk to mom and she'll tell me stories when I was a little kid where I worked really hard at the house and I earned, you know, $5 for a toy. And on our way into a toy store, um, I saw a homeless man and, and she had handed me my $5 and said, okay, let's go in and buy a toy. And as we were walking in, I stopped at the front door of the toy store. I looked at the homeless guy. I looked at the toy store. I looked at my $5 and I walked over to the homeless guy and gave it to him. And mm. I was like eight, nine years old. So I was a little kid doing this. And she told me, she's like, buddy, remember, you cannot have another $5 if you give it away. And I was like, that's okay. He needs it. Let's go. And just somehow I had that quality inside of me. And, and it was reinforced by my parents, by my family, by my friends, and constantly where I hear stories when I was really little, they would do stuff like, Hey buddy, you have five balloons. And they would like shake their head. Yes. With the really bright eyes and a big smile and be like, would you like to share one? And then they'd be like, they'd put a like scowl on their face and shake their head. No. And make a mean look and be like, or do you want to keep them for just yourself? And, and they were training me and teaching me to be a giver, to be someone who cares about others, to be someone who really, you know, finds a way to serve others at a small extent as a kid. And that carried through. Fast forward in the school, I, I took an amazing, amazing trip, which I highly recommend everyone to do. It's your semester at sea. Mm. And that literally was a 110-day voyage all the way around the world. So we got on a ship in Vancouver. We went all throughout Asia. So China, Japan, uh, Thailand, India, Vietnam, through Africa, Tanzania, Kenya, South Africa, back up through South America, uh, Brazil, Venezuela, and back up to Florida. So we literally circumnavigated the globe on a ship. And we got about five to seven days in each country and got to study our, our liberal arts studies on board with all the professors. Wow. So it was amazing. And, and, you know, at that moment of life, my heart was opened up to how the rest of the world really lives. And when you, you know, get to China and see so many people living in such small places and you see, you know, four or five generations of family living in a two bedroom apartment. And then you get to India and you see a guy drive by in a Rolls Royce and, you know, a hundred other people living on the street, across the street, you know, pooping, peeing, eating and sleeping all in the same spot. And you're like, wow, <laughs> how did that work? And uh, what really got me was when I got to East Africa, mm. the, the joy, the life, the faith people had, just the, just the connection to, to life and, and, and seemed like a spiritual essence to me was mind boggling because they had nothing seemingly, no stuff, but they just had joy. And, yeah. and, and richness about them. And I remember being there and being like, I want to learn this. And mm -hmm. so I literally held on my mind all the way back home. Uh, South Africa definitely caught my attention. I remember walking into a, a room that was the size of a standard like college dorm room in the US and it had two single beds in it. And I remember the person who giving the tour was like, hey, this is a two family room. You know, a family of five people sleeps on each one of those single beds every night. Wow. And I remember like, whoa, that's different. <laughs> um, and, and so thing after thing after thing kind of compounded and stacked. And by the time I got home from that trip, I looked around at life in San Diego, Southern California, which is, is 
you know, it's a place that's pretty well off in the world. And I looked around and saw what my friends were up to, saw what I was even thinking about at home. And I was like, you know, this, this is kind of pointless. I, I think there's something more that I have to be doing in the world. And I, I found a volunteer organization. I packed up and I moved myself to Uganda for three months and, and lived there teaching organic farming and English in a, in a rural country village. Mm. Um, so, so that, I mean, that's a big chunk of life that went in there, but uh, really, truly just that spirit of giving and serving and helping and, and feeling alive when I was doing it really mattered to me. And I went back and did it. I had a few rough spots there. One mm-hmm. of which was I got malaria a couple times. And the second time I had it, I was being really stubborn, being one of mm-hmm. those awesome Southern California kids who believes that my body and mind will heal itself and medicine is not needed to do so. <laughs> <laughs> me and the doctor who is urging me to take the malaria medicine didn't quite get along on that topic. <laughs> And yeah. eventually he, at a scare tactics, he pulled up my blood and showed me, he's like, buddy, you have 55,000 parasites per one red blood cell. Um, if you know anything about malaria, they, they, you know, as soon as they hatch, they explode out of the cell and kill it. They then feed on water, massively dehydrate the body and then lay eggs and other red blood cells and eight to 10 hours later, hatch again and kill those. And he said at the rate they're doubling and how many you have, you have about five days. Wow. I remember looking at him and I was a little bit egotistical at that stage of my life. And I was like, five days till what? (laughs) (laughs) And, um, you know, uh, I think God gave me a good smack upside the head and he's like five days till, uh, till your body can't sustain itself, buddy. And, and that was a game changer moment. That was one of those moments where, you know, what's most important to me comes to mind. You know, what, what really matters in the world? Holy smokes. I'm in Africa. My parents are in Southern California. If I die in five days, I'll never get to say goodbye. That's a bummer wow, I never got to do the most important things that were important to me in life, like have a family or something silly, like get a house or, you know, uh, have a child, like real, real things, meaningful things, things that people value throughout their entire life, not just get a cool job or earn a gold medal, but real deep, meaningful life experiences. They were pretty much not going to be there if five days was it. And so there was a series of things I started doing that I learned growing up, everything from visualization to you know, mentally and emotionally stimulating my mind and body to heal, to um, healing meditations from Deepak and, and, and imagining that, you know, that golden white light cleansing my body to taking the medicine, like the doctor said. Um, <laughs> mm. But all these things mixed together, compiling them in, just creating such a healthy environment to get my body to heal. And I had the worst 11 days of my entire life that week. <laughs> it was bad. Um, seven days felt like 11. But it was horrible, like vertigo, stood up, fell down, face first, smashed, like it was bad. Came home, finished up my degree, and and sad to say, got caught back up in just, you know, normal day-to-day Southern California life. Got caught up in stuff, got caught up in trying to get a new car, got caught up in trying to buy cool clothes and be a cool person and do cool things according to the <laughs> norms and values of that society, that community. Yeah. And, and it was a bummer because I kind of lost everything I had promised myself on that trip around the world and when I was living there. And something I had promised myself was I would introduce more people to that experience of life and take them firsthand into it so it could naturally have the effect on them like it did me. Mm. And I forgot about that. And so what happened, just to fast forward a little bit more, I went and worked for my dad. I got into a sale outside sales position, which again took me even further from my personal values of just helping people. Because now, you know, my mindset was like, hey, how many tickets did I sell today? How much money yeah. did I make today? It really didn't <laughs> matter how many people I helped. I'm like, if I sold it and I get to eat and I get more money, that's awesome. <laughs> and at one point, I just felt empty. Mm. And to kind of bring this story to where we are now, 
I remember sitting down, deciding that wasn't it, deciding I was going to figure out what was my life all about and how could I apply really the meaning and purpose I felt I was on the planet for. And I remember packing up, moving back to San Diego, and it was kind of a downgrade in life because I had, I had upgraded in the sales position to a corporate apartment, a corporate car, a corporate phone, like everything's paid for, nice lifestyle, fancy suits. And now um, I moved back to Southern California with two bags and I literally moved into the front den of a house with three roommates with two curtains as my door. <laughs> and I remember being like, whoa, what happened? <laughs> you know, I'm used to the top floor apartment with cool views and cool car and stuff. And now I'm just kind of uh, making do in the front den of a house. And wow. I, I set up a little office and I set up my bed and I was working three jobs at the time in transition. I was doing out, you know, inside sales from dad's office coaching because I had been certified and, and was good at that. Um, and then to, to make up some spare time and be able to qualify for full-time hours, I was stuffing boxes at the warehouse and helping organize the warehouse for dad's company. Mm. And so I remember sitting around and being like, wow, this is what a, I wasn't made to do this either. Like there's something more for me. And I, I came up with a formula where I started looking around and I said, you know, honestly, my heart feels like I should be working in the nonprofit arena, but my, my head wants to have like a really badass lifestyle too, which takes, takes a significant amount of money. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, this is just hard to figure out because if, if I could just, you know, if money didn't matter, I would be in the nonprofit arena, just helping people all day. Yeah. But we live in a, a world where money's kind of like air. It doesn't really matter until you don't have any and then it matters. <laughs> <laughs> um, and that's sad to say, but it's true. And so I remember sitting there being like, I got to find a way to earn a significant living, but I, I can't do it in any other way unless it's helping people. Mm -hmm. And I scratched my head and scratched my head. And then I thought about it. I said, you know what? Though, If I started my own coaching practice where I had to be in charge of all of it, I had to sell clients and roll clients, take care of clients, deliver for clients, really over deliver to keep raving fan clients. I said, if I do this right, I think I might be able to earn a significant enough living to have the kind of life I want. And then if I do the right things with the money, the money can kind of grow itself eventually. And so I started a coaching practice just off the laptop in the front end of a house. And in the first six months, we, we crossed, or first eight months, we crossed six figures in income. So we did 100,000 in revenue, which was enough to have a, you know, the lifestyle I wanted at that point, 24 years old. And I was like, wow. okay, I could do something with 100 grand a year. Like, this is cool. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I was greatly an amateur in business because I assumed that revenue was profit. And I was like, okay, I could live off of this. A few years later, I figured out that is not the case. And as much revenue as I was creating, and we were doubling that each year, the, the problem was that the profit wasn't doubling. So we were actually in trouble. Oh. Um, but now we're six years into that business. And, and what's beautiful and I'm incredibly grateful to say is, I found a business, an opportunity that's a for-profit venture that's focused on serving other human beings and helping them be the best version of themselves to achieve their goals and live their dreams and do what they really want. And through the revenue generated from there, it allows us to spend, oh, it's also a leveraged type of career where as I'm doing those calls, I might have to do three, four or five calls a day, but to work three, four or five hours a day and have the rest of the day to go volunteer to come up with projects that can allow us to take people around the world and introduce them to just life everywhere else to, mm -hmm. you know, take the money we earn, which is pretty fairly significant compared to the, what the world earns and take that money and invest it in places like where I think where we first crossed paths, like the pencils of promise organization and to be able to invest mm -hmm. in places that are doing meaningful things. Yeah. It's really cool. And that, that was my dream of if I could get paid to help people 
take the leverageable income from there to then in turn do more volunteer work myself and then pay forward that money and help other organizations help even more of what they're doing. I could see no better life in my eyes. Mm, that's amazing. That's amazing, man. So much great, great stuff to talk about here. I want to dive a little bit back and just kind of before we start getting into the coaching stuff, but I want to like ask you a couple questions about where you came from and what it was like growing up. And did you have any pressure to do anything, especially in the coaching realm from, from a young age, or did your parents kind of just say, do what makes you happy? And, and what was that like for you? It's really interesting. Um, I, I love my mom and I love my dad dearly and they're both amazing, amazing human beings, but they're very, very, very different human beings. Mm. My dad is a type A achiever to the extremest extent possible. And as he's, you know, gotten older in life, he, he's balanced himself out more and more to where now he meditates and stuff, which I always <laughs> used to give him, give him crap about when I was young. I'm like, come on, relax a little. <laughs> and he, he used to tease me and be like, come on, stop being lazy, like do something. <laughs> and I was like, I'm meditating. That's something. Uh, so he would go back and forth and he would always push me to, to do more and be more and experience more of life. And my mom, on the other hand, um, she has the biggest heart in the world of caring for people, which dad does too, but hers is just, I mean, she can have no money and just a plate of food and see a homeless person. And as she's walking by, give them half of her plate of food, if not the whole thing. Wow. She's that kind of giver. Like she doesn't have anything and she will still give you more than what she even has herself. Wow. And so my mom inspired me really truly where she implanted those beliefs of do whatever you want follow your passions, you know, you can have, be, do, and create anything you want in life. And, you know, as much as you want to create, it's out there for you as long as you help others. And dad, he was the one who implanted the other side, which was you have to bust your ass if you really want to create something big in life. Like you have to outwork every other human being, you know, a simple <laughs> philosophy, figure out what works and do it more than anyone else on earth is willing to do. And if you're willing to do it more than anyone else, you will get results that no one else on earth can even experience. So I had this philosophy where it's just two different approaches at life. And in the beginning, you know, I, I went more towards mom's side because I spent a lot more time with mom growing up where it was like, no, it'll happen if it's supposed to just allow life to unfold. All this stuff is blissful and beautiful. Just, you know, meditate <laughs> on it. And after so long, it was, you know, it worked. I was very calm. I was very centered, non-stressful life. Like things just unfolded naturally. Um, and right around that stage where I was in the front den of a house, I was like, you know, if I just meditate on an abundance, I don't think any money's going to show up tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm going to try kicking dad's approach in here. And so I, I went straight out and I, I used the balance between those two. I used that, you know, really that artistic, flowing, beautiful, feminine, pure consciousness of creativity and, and centeredness to keep myself balanced and, and healthy. And then I use dad's intensity and craziness and drive to push myself to outwork myself every day. Mm. And between the combination, it allowed me to find a really unique balance of life where I'm pushing harder than 99% of my friends are at anything and, and because I'm pushing so hard, we're getting results that are crazy. Now, at the same time, I also have some daily routines that are built in that mm -hmm. keep me centered, balanced and healthy as a human being. So I'm not, you know, stressed out and 
hooked on something because I can't get my mind to shut off, (laughs) (laughs) which is crazy because that's the case for a lot of type A achievers. (laughs) Yeah, totally. And I guess I kind of have the same philosophy. It's like work, work your ass off, work really hard. But I'm also learning the the side that you're talking about, that feminine side of like manifestation and really kind of meditating on what you want and what you want to attract into your life. How have you balanced those two for yourself? Um, it, it's a mix. I, I What I figured out is there's kind of, well, as far as I can see from this moment of my life, 30 years old, just married, don't have any kids yet. So from this vantage point of life and this stage of life, as far out as I can see, there's really kind of like three levels. Mm-hmm. Level one, and each level has like three stages in it. So level one is kind of, yourself. Have you figured out how to just master yourself as a human being, your mind, your body, your emotions, your health, your productivity, your creativity? Do you know how to turn yourself off and on in all the right and wrong ways so that if you need yourself to do something, you absolutely get yourself to do it when you say you're going to do it. And so the, the very first moment of that is usually in teenage years, which is, you know, level one, stage one, which is this crazy, so much energy. It's like a thunderstorm, tornado, hurricane mixed in one of energy, (laughs) just trying to figure out, quote unquote, what works in life. And not only what works in life, but what works in life for you. (laughs) Yeah. So you see a kid, you know, going into school or out of school and they're like, ah, and they have no clue what's going to work for them. They don't know if it's going to be sales or loving people or volunteering or traveling or they have no clue. They're just trying everything. And, And it's like a crazy thunderstorm of energy trying to figure it out. Now, what's interesting is at some point they figure out what works for them and they graduate from level one, stage one, to level one, stage two. And stage two is when you know what works and it's exhausting amounts of energy to keep doing it every day. Meaning it's like, I know I'm supposed to meditate every day, but it's really hard to get myself to do it. But if I focus on it hard enough, I can do it. And, you know, I really have to work out every day. And if I focus on it hard enough and, you know, build myself up emotionally enough, I can get myself to do it. And what they figure out is like, if you ever do it, you're your best self. But the moment you stop doing any of those things, you immediately kind of fall back into that crazy storm of energy of just like, ah, everything goes haywire. So it's level two is like, you have to consciously be full effort, full focus, just busting your tail to do it. Eventually you hit level one, stage three, which is when you figure out how to systematize it and you become unconsciously competent to the point where you don't even have to think about doing these things. You've trained your mind and body to just go there. Meaning mm. every morning you wake up, you don't have to think about it. You just start meditating when you're, you know, you get out of bed every morning. Mm. You just go for that run first thing in the morning. You don't even think about it. It's not like it's any effort. You, you trained yourself to do it. And that's normal. Now, you know, you trained yourself to eat healthier, to do your green smoothie or whatever it is for you that, that <laughs> kicks you off. And you've trained yourself and now you've just, you've mastered level one, which is self-mastery. Mm. And it's like, I've mastered myself. I get it. Like I know how to make me my happiest, healthiest, most fulfilled version of who I am in the world. And I own it. And I know mm. if something goes wrong, how to get it back. I know how to keep myself growing and learning and, and, and being functioning at the best mental, emotional, physical, spiritual capacity of who I am. Now, at this point, you realize even if I have everything I've ever dreamed of in life, if I don't have someone to share it with, it's not worth much. Mm. And that's like that big kick in the face where it's like, oh man, I worked this hard to master my own life and get myself put together. But if I don't have someone to share it with, it feels meaningless because there's no one to magnify these moments with. It's just me. (laughs) And yeah, mom Mm. and dad are cool and brother and sister are awesome and cousins are great too. And 
best friends and community are awesome, but it's not the same as that intimate connection with somebody. Mm. Now, what happens is you ch- decide to graduate yourself. And the, the crazy part is some people never take the time to figure this first stage out before graduating themselves to level two. And mm. I feel I feel incredibly, you know, deep, deep, deep pain for people who decide to do that only because if you haven't figured yourself out, what in the world makes you think you're going to magically figure someone else out? Mm. And now you're going to, my belief is when a relationship comes together, both energies are magnified. So if you happen to be level one, stage one of just craziness, not even knowing how to put your own life together, why would you want to magnify that? Wow. That's harsh. And that's, you know, people could be listening being like, F this dude. (laughs) Uh, Because I thought if I got in a relationship, you know, that love of my life, that would just make me finally figure myself out. And sometimes it does, but it doesn't usually do it in the way we think. It usually does it because it didn't work out. You leave the relationship so hurt and so much pain that you finally decide to figure yourself out. I hate to say that. I don't mean to be pessimistic. I'm the motivation guy. I know, uh, according (laughs) to Wiki, at the same time, to be honest, that's usually what happens. And I've had a few of those myself. You know, that's how I learned this from experience of being like, ow, I need to figure myself out. <laughs> yeah, but it's so true. I mean, you have to figure yourself out before you jump into something with somebody else. And I think that to have the most fruitful relationship, you got to know who you are. You got to, and like you said, you have to master yourself. And I don't think that's harsh at all. I think that's a very realistic point of view. And how, like, now What's, you're, just, you're, just to toss something in here, yeah. I didn't mean to cut you off, but to toss something in here, what usually happens is now that the, the stages repeat themselves because you went from self-mastery like I own it to now you put another person in the picture, everything goes to hell. <laughs> 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 Which makes people think like, is this the right relationship? It's supposed to be easy. I don't know. What's wrong? And all that happens is you get kicked back to level one or level two, stage one. And stage one is that craziness, you know, two thunderstorms, two tornadoes, two hurricanes, all at the same time being like, ah, I had myself figured out, but I don't know about you. Ah. And, and so it's like craziness for a few months or years, however long you want to stay there until you figure out what works for you guys as a couple. You reset your daily routines, you reset how you go about stuff, you reset your habits, you reset your goals, you reset everything, the, the main core system of how you mastered yourself. Um, you now reset that whole system with another human being. Now, once you reset the system together, now you graduate to, you know, stage two of level two, which now you're at this place where it's like, if we do it all perfectly every day with a lot of effort, it works. But if we miss one thing, all shit goes to hell. (laughs) Mm. And then eventually as a couple, you figure out how to systematize it, where now as a team, y'all have mastered relationship with each other. That doesn't mean you master relationship with the world, but you guys, with you guys as a core couple in this world, you own it. You know the routine, you have your systems, you have your cycles, you know how it goes. Now, the crazy part is some people decide to graduate beyond this level before even mastering themselves and before even mastering each other. And they decide to add a puppy or child to the mix. Now, I realize there's a very big difference between a puppy and a child, uh, but both of them start demanding attention. Um, and demand extra energy and a whole new effing system. And that's, you know, level three, a third party in the relationship back to stage one. All shit goes to hell again. Right. You, you get the cycle. Um, but our main focus right now has been, you know, helping other people figure out level one, stage one, two, and three, which is how do you figure out that personal self-mastery and just own your life as an individual? 
Um, and then my wife and I are working on figuring out level two ourselves. And as soon as, you know, one of our main goals is as soon as we figure out level two, all three stages, uh, we want to, you know, blog about it, write about it, create stuff about it to help other people as young couples figure it out themselves as well. Yeah, that's amazing. I want to jump back a little bit into level one as you're talking about, and this is something kind of that I'm been talking about with my brand is the state of creating your life. And, you know, how do you get somebody to flip that switch to, you know, I guess being a victim of their circumstances and just like letting life run them to the point where like, oh, I'm going to master myself. I'm going to own my life. I'm going to do everything that I can to be an the ultimate human, if you want to say there's a switch there. Um, and I, this is, you know, your work and how do you, how do you activate that switch in people? In my experience thus far, so 30 years of experience, uh, I've been personal performance coach for uh, 12 years now. So just over, you know, over a decade Mm. and in all the people we've worked with, um, it usually takes enough pain showing up in their life that literally causes them to get so frustrated and so pissed off with it not going right that they finally decide to make it change mm. or they see someone else that has it the way they want it and it, it ignites something in them where they see it and they're like, wow, if that's possible, I want it. And they want it so bad they get you know emotionally obsessed about it and they just go for it. And it, it it's very simple components, but enough pain to get you to move or enough pleasure. And I think I, growing up, I heard Les Brown, the, the speakers tell the example of, you know, I remember walking by this front porch of a house and hearing this dog just howl like, ow, like this horrific little howl. <laughs> and he, he walked up to the owner. He's like, why is your dog yelling so much? And he goes, Oh, he stepped on a nail. And he's like, well, if he's stepping on a nail, why doesn't he move? And he goes, son, until it hurts bad enough, he ain't going to move. He's just going to whine about it. Mm. And a lot of people do that in their life. You know, they're stepping on a tack and it hurts, but it doesn't hurt bad enough for them to go, ow, I'll never let that happen again. It just hurts bad enough for them to whine and moan and complain about it all day. <laughs> <laughs> That's a very good illustration. So it, it's probably, it seems like it's, it's something that it's their own personal journey. It is. And when, they're, when they're ready for it, then they come looking, looking for how the steps to change their life. It does. And, and one of the biggest disservices I've ever done for someone as a coach is thinking I could change their moment of life. I could change their journey by pushing them into it or inspiring them into it. Mm. And, and, you know, what I've learned is, yeah, when they're ready, I can show them the tools and I can help produce that in them. But if I do it for them, they'll massively lack the muscle to be able to recreate it if they ever fall back. Mm, yeah. Versus teaching them how to gain the muscle by saying, Hey, I'm going to show you the tools. And as a coach, I'll hold you accountable to do it. And I'll create pain in your life if you don't, but you're going to have to do the work to get yourself to that position. Cause if you don't, you won't have the muscle. I'll have the muscle. Exactly. And they're just going to be going through the motions at that point. Yeah. And, and then they become dependent on me. They're like, Oh, I have to go see my freaking guru or whatever to get pumped up today because I don't know how to do it myself. I, I, <laughs> I don't want to be anyone's guru and I certainly don't want to be anyone's person they have to show up every day to get their juice from. Like, I I like seeing self-sufficient people in the world. So my goal is to train people on the tools of how to do it and then to really push them to go do it themselves. And when they do it, now they have ownership, pride. They have the confidence it takes to look at their life and say, hey, 
I created this. Yeah, that guy mm. gave me some tools, but I did this. Mm. So now, what are the signs? And I guess you've seen so many signs, but if, if we're talking to the audience, what, what are the signs that you're ready? I mean, if you're breathing, <laughs> I would start simple. If you're breathing and you're alive and you can move, regardless if that's running and jumping and walking or if you're, you know, you've, you've born in a tough situation or, or got an accident and you're wheeling around or whatever you're doing. Um, if you're breathing and alive and moving, meaning your heart's beating, you can move your body and limbs to some extent. Uh, that's your sign. That's your sign that if you're alive, there's a reason you're here. And if, if there's a reason you're here, figure out what that reason is and do something about it. Mm. Mm. And what would, what would be the first step now in terms of say your, your coaching style, what do you, what do you recommend? How do you get, how do you get moving on this? Yeah. Our first step is really simple. It's, Hey, if you, if you're saying, Hey, I'm alive, I'm a human being and I want to experience what life has to offer. Say, so, okay, great. You know, what would, and we always start people out with what would your absolute ideal day be? Meaning if, if one day happened to go perfect in your life, what in the world would happen? Who would be there? How would you feel? Where would you go? What would be possible on that day? What's every single thing you'd want to make happen? You know, what kind of emotions would you feel throughout that day? Um, what kind of activities would you partake in? What, what would you see and hear and feel throughout the day? And if you can start to just paint a picture in a very creative way of everything that would happen, and it doesn't have to be this intense, crazy, once-in-a-lifetime day, I mean, it can be as simple. I've done this exercise with thousands of people around the world. And one of my, some of my favorites are, I remember a man from Ireland who had flew out to a seminar we were doing in Texas. And he stood up and he said, you know, if my perfect day, this is the only thing that has to happen for my day to be perfect, to wake up, to be with my family, to have breakfast with my child, and to be able to take them to school. That's it. Mm. That's it. That would make every day perfect for me. And I, you know, the audience is like, wow, that doesn't seem very difficult. But when you look at life, you know, he's got a job, he's got to get up, he's got to get to work. He's got a, his, him and his wife got a divorce and his child lives with his, with his wife now on the other side of town. So there's a lot of little features that are hard to overcome. But I challenged him. I said, I, I dare you in my heart of hearts to live as if you were going to die in 30 days. And for the next 30 days, every day, find a way to make that happen and see what your life comes, you know, what happens in other areas of your life as well. And I remember getting an email from him and him sharing, you know, I took your challenge mm -hmm. and I did it. I got up extra early. I drove all the way across town. I was there for breakfast. I, I got to hang out. I found a way to make it work with my ex-wife. Uh, I got to drive him to school every day, which my ex-wife actually was grateful for. <laughs> yeah. And Every day, he's like, I worked harder. I accomplished more. I was happier. I feel like I was healthier as a human being, mentally and emotionally. Um, you know, friends asked, like, what's different in your life? What, how is this happening? Like, what's changed about you? And all it was was figuring out how to make that one thing in my day happen that made everything perfect for me. Mm. And everything got better in his life. Healthier, happier, more abundant. He showed up. He loved his life. He was passionate. And he said, you know, the, the greatest thing I can answer is that if I were to die today, I would die a man knowing that I really lived my purpose. Mm. Mm. I remember being like, wow, wow, that's simple. You know, it doesn't have to be complex. So coming back to that day, for someone listening, what would that day be for you? 
Where would you be? Who would you be with? How would you feel? What would be possible? And look at all the most important areas of life and kind of stage two and step two is now let's take a vision of a day and let's focus it on the most important major areas, the type of areas that if you don't pay attention to, they will eventually stand up and smack you in the face. Um, your health, (laughs) that's easy to describe. It's pretty simple. If you don't pay attention to your health and keep yourself healthy, life will take you to your knees and, or the graveyard with one or the other. And if you land up in the graveyard, it doesn't matter how much you earn, how famous you are, how, whatever you're done. So, uh, well, I guess it depends on your view of life. You could reincarnate as a cow and be the ultimate holy creature. (laughs) So that's up to you as well. Um, but your health for the most part in this lifetime, if you don't take care of it, you're done health emotions. Um, that's a big one. If you don't have emotional strength, uh, you're in trouble because life is going to throw you curveballs. And if you don't know how to make sure that you take control of who you are, no matter what happens, um, you end up being like that Russian billionaire, the guy who is, I think he was the third richest human being on earth. And when the markets shifted, he dropped down to number 16, and if you, if you didn't read the article, he threw himself in front of a train because how in the world could anyone live being number 16? What a, what a horrible thing. <laughs> Awful. Yeah. I was like 16th richest person, human being on earth like, out of billions. I think I could, I could, I could probably survive. <laughs> <laughs> I think but, you'd be okay. Yeah. You'd, you'd, you'd be okay. Maybe, maybe <laughs> one less Gulfstream or something. I don't know. One less yacht. Um, but you think about it and it seems so silly and ridiculous from our vantage point, but all it is is someone who lacked emotional strength Mm. because when things shifted emotionally, they fell apart. So health, emotions, third family life. Um, (laughs) with this one, not everyone considers their blood family, their family. I've realized that because people have different relationships growing up. Um, so who would you consider to be family in your eyes? community, those, those people that whether they're blood relatives or not, you look at them and you say, these are my family. Like this is my community. Yeah. You have to work on that. You have to have a community that, you know, if you get put in a hard spot, they're the people who are going to be there for you. Yeah. You got to be willing to be there for them. You know, their intimate relationship, your professional life, your finances, your spiritual life. So what are you doing in all these major areas to make, you know, what's your plan to make progress every day? And then from there, figuring out, Exactly that. Once you have your main vision in each one of these areas, how do we break it down to a daily set of habits that if you were to do these habits every day, it would absolutely guarantee consistent progress and growth. Mm. And at that point, now you've taken a huge vision for a day, broken it down into little mini visions of these major areas, broken it down from there to this daily set of habits and rituals And that's where that self-mastery component comes in because if you can master these rituals and you can turn these rituals into automatic habits in your own life, you own it. You've got yourself. And you might need to tweak them and adjust them and add a habit or take away a habit from time to time. But if you know how to do that system, you've got it. Where we fast forward to from there is saying, hey, if you can turn that day into reality, let's see if we can turn a 5, 10, and 25-year vision for your life into reality. So now let's expand that day into a five-year vision, a 10-year vision, a 20-year vision. Mm. And now let's use the same exact habits, tools, and rituals to work backwards, build it into those daily habits, and build that plan so that literally you know what you're doing today adds up to your 20-year vision of where you're headed in life. Wow. That's big. That's big. 
So now when you're talking about emotional strength and fitness, I, I've, I've been working on a lot of this the last couple of years. Where would you recommend starting to learn about emotional intelligence, emotional fitness and strength? Because it's kind of something that's becoming bigger, I think, now. But it's it's a very huge tool and not something that everybody knows about. Yeah. Um, my favorite book I'm reading right now, this moment on the topic is Seal Fit, mm. um, written by an ex-Navy SEAL. And uh, he talks about the fact of, you know, as a Navy SEAL, you have to figure out the, where your limits are. You have to figure out how to get broken. You have to figure out how to put yourself back together emotionally in, in the moment. And so I, I'm, I'm actually thinking about signing up um, and taking some of the people we're going to train as coaches in our own company to do his Kokoro camp. Mm. And his Kokoro camp is a 50 hour boot camp over a weekend. That's the closest thing a civilian can get to Navy SEAL training where like the first thing they did on video when I watched it is they do a 45 minute plank where you oh hold yourself God. in plank position for 45 minutes to start the 50 hour training in. And you know, they have you submerge yourself in a dark, cold ice bucket of water and try to hold your breath for a minute, which most people come out crying and freezing and feeling like they're going to die and all this other junk. And, and by the end of the weekend, it's like you can hold your breath for over a minute underwater in ice cold, dark temperatures without seeing anything and keep yourself warm the whole time because they teach you the skill set to do so by mental and emotional and, and physical mastery. And so I, I look at stuff like that, which is extreme for any human being, extreme for me and probably ex way too extreme for the average person. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I look at stuff like that and say, wow, I would love to see how to train my mind and body to have that kind of mastery over it. You know, I'd love to be to the point. And he tells you in the book, it's very clear. He says, we're going to put you through physical exercises that you will not physiologically be able to complete. It is impossible, but we're going to push you to get as far as you possibly can and break down so that we can prove to you that you are stronger than you think. Because we're going to show you that when your body breaks down after that, I don't know how many hour <laughs> hike or 45 minute plank and you physically drop on your face and can't move. We're going to show you how to train your mind to tap into a part of your body that you don't know exists. And we're going to get you right back in the plank and through breathing exercises and through mental visualization and through mental workouts, we're going to have you hold that plank for 45 minutes when you could only get to 10 minutes the first day. And it's like, wow, that's cool. <laughs> that is cool. I, I'm tempted to uh, look into this. Yeah. Uh, uh, if we sign up together, we'll hate each other through it. So <laughs> we'll also help each that other. Was, that was the worst idea one of us came up with. Thanks a lot. <laughs> uh, now you have, we can get Lewis. It'll even be even better. Oh, yeah. We should get all three of us. Maybe Jordan will do it. There you but go. We'll see. <laughs> now you have the action steps uh, and walk us through the, the action steps. You know, the middle step is live it. What what are these steps in yeah. in, in terms um, of how so the, your coaching works? Uh, the, the steps are different for everybody. We customize every single piece of coaching. Now we are creating a, like I said, I had a coaching practice for the past six years. Um, coaching practice meaning I am the coach and I coach the people. <laughs> so it's a mm -hmm. practice I practice every day. And if I'm not here practicing, it doesn't work. <laughs> um <laughs> which learning about business and studying business for six years, I've learned, wow, I need to turn my practice into a coach, you know, from a coaching practice to a coaching business, which is kind of a different stage. That's where we have coaches coaching the processes and steps for us. Mm. So we're actually in the process right now of taking something that's always been boutique 
and always been completely and 100% customized per person that shows up to their life, to their business, to what they're about. And now we're starting to systematize it so that we could have, you know, a, a much wider demographic come into the system and go through specific steps. And the specific steps, um, let me see if I can grab it. We have outline that follow the curriculum of our book, uh, Live It, Achieve Success by Living with Purpose. And the steps really simple is, you know, session one is going to be an introduction from your, your coach and them introducing you to the process of what is your absolute ideal day, walking you through how to do it, giving you an example, helping you weed through yours, helping them, helping you figure it out and helping you really set up the vision and then giving you an exercise for the next seven days or 14 days and having you go through and, and visualize it and, and really, really fine tune that day until you say, this is the day for me and just own it. You know, session number two is the majors of life, like what we talked about, nailing it down to the majors, nailing it down to the daily action items, figuring out how in the world, what systems are you going to use to measure and track every single day those, those habits and how are you going to build it into a habit? Uh, one of my favorite books is Habits, uh, The Power of Habits by John, um, Charles Duhigg. So mm. using those formulas to build these things into your habits every single day. Uh, from there, destroying limiting beliefs, you know, helping people get any negative beliefs out of their system so that they can really clear their mind. Um, from there, paint, helping paint the 5, 10, and 20-year vision, emotional rocket fuel, your big why, pain and pleasure. Um, and, and, you know, that's session three out of 12 sessions. <laughs> so I can keep going wow. forever, but, but we really set up a, a defined curriculum for people to go through so that we're going to be training coaches on how to teach these things. And then we're going to be opening it up at a, at a much more reasonable price point to the, to most people so mm -hmm. that, you know, for a few hundred dollars a month, they could be going through this and having someone guide them in it to help really define who they are, where they're going and how they're going to get there. The, the, the main, main, main guiding principle that we live by here is three pieces. It's learn it, live it, give it. And it's, mm. hey, you know, we invite you to learn the tools, learn the techniques, learn the strategies, learn everything you need to turn your ideal day vision into reality. Two, we challenge you to live it, um, which is a, a big turning point in my life. When I looked around at all these seminars, all these books I've read, all this, you know, degrees I had, and I'm like, wow, I know what I should be doing every day, but I'm not doing it every day. You know, I do it like every other day. I do it every third Friday. Like some days I do it, some days I don't. Some days I do it the right way. Some days I just kind of half-ass it. Why in the world am I not fully living it? And this last 10 years, um, I challenged myself that every tool, I would take them one at a time and I would live it ferociously every single day to the fullest of my capacity and intensity that I could possibly apply myself. Mm. And I would see what results showed up. And the tools that worked for me, I kept um, we put them in our book. We outlined them in this program I was talking about. And, and I first made sure they worked for me. And then I took them to my clients and I, I tested them and used them with clients and made sure they worked for me and other people multiple times, not just one off. And, and the ones that worked for myself and which some work for me and not for others, some work for others and not for me, but the ones that were consistent across the board, they just worked for everybody. We kept, we systematized and we put them into, you know, that book and program. And, mm. and based on all of that, we share with people, here's how we can get you to live it, to make your life your message, to get yourself to be the walking, talking billboard of what you believe in in life so that your actions speak so loudly, you don't have to say a word to another human being. By the way you live, they get who you are. Mm. And finally, third step, we challenge people to give it. Find a way to pay forward what's worked for you 
to help others figure out what works for them and help them, you know, kick into that learn, live and give model themselves. Mm. Mm. That's beautiful. Now I want to dive in. Let's talk about the live it section a little bit more. And this is like after watching your, your Ted talk, something that like really inspired me because I feel like this is the hardest hump for people to get through and to actually, you know, we talked, we talked about, you get inspired, you go to a conference, seminar, whatever it is. And you're like, yeah. And then you work at it for a little bit and then people just drop off and drop off. Yep. And why is that? What's, what is the journey of that? Um, there's a few pieces there. One is spaced repetition and spaced repetition. Meaning if you go to the gym once and you get all pumped up, and you happen to hit a 225 pound bench press once <laughs> and you leave the gym and you never work out for six months and you come back to the gym six months later and try to do a 225 pound bench press, all I can say is good luck and you're probably going to hurt yourself. <laughs> um, and what's missing is you're missing the consistency of keeping your muscles strong, keeping it trained, keeping it toned, keep practice. You're missing the most important piece of life and lifting in this case, which is consistency of rebuilding and building that muscle so that it stays strong. Now, I'm sure there's some freak of nature who's huge and muscular and born that way who can somehow do it, but that's very, very rare. Just like the person who wakes up and makes life amazing without any training, without any anything. They just wake up and do it. There's a freak <laughs> of nature out there. I know you're listening somewhere. God bless you. You're amazing. For everyone else... Um, you need to be able to consistently have spaced repetition, which helps build the emotional muscle, the mental muscle, the spiritual muscle, just like you would a physical muscle. Mm. Now, when you talk about the physical body, people get it. When you talk about your emotions, people go, really? Why can't I just wake up and be happy? <laughs> and it's like, well, how'd that work out for you last six months? Some people, again, you're a freak of nature. You do it. You wake up, you're just happy about life. Awesome. I love you. You're amazing. Let's hang out. <laughs> You know, yeah, for, exactly. for people who wake up on the day and they're like, you know, I just feel shitty about life right now. Like I don't like life. <laughs> well, you're going to need to go to the emotional gym that day and retrain the muscle and rebuild it in on purpose because you choose to, you know, the, the fitness muscle, the emotional muscle, a big one for people, the financial muscle. Mm. They wonder why they're always dead broke. And it's like, well, if you look at the muscle you've built, you've built the spending muscle and you've built an overspending muscle. <laughs> you never built the saving and investing muscle. <laughs> And, and that's like, you know, never working on legs and one day trying to do a 315 pound squat, like you're going to kill yourself. <laughs> so I, I use a physical metaphor because it's easy for people to wrap their head around and kind of laugh about. Because if you saw some, you know, little guy with tiny legs at the gym trying to squat 315, you'd be like, okay, that's, he's about to get hurt. <laughs> but, you know, we don't realize we do that in our bank account every month when we try to be like, I'm going to save 50% of what I make this month. And then you save it and next month you spend it because you ran out of money and you don't know why. And it's like, well, you've never done that before. You start with 10%, you know, then do maybe 12 and then 15 and eventually build up to where, hey, you can make enough money every month to save 50% and invest it and do great by yourself. Um, so that thought of live it, how do you get into the motion of it? Start small. Mm. Um, how you build a habit is starting small. And mm. there, there's three parts to a habit according to that book, The Power of Habit, Charles Duhigg. He talks about how there's a trigger or a cue, something that sets it off or triggers it into motion. There's actually the habit or routine itself. And then there's a reward at the end. You have to give yourself to, to really anchor in and solidify that habit so that you know you did the right thing. Mm. And so if you look for it and say, you know, what trigger, what's a new habit I would want to build that would help my life be even better tomorrow than it is today? 
Maybe that's waking up and meditating. You know, maybe that's waking up and going for a run. Maybe it's drinking a green drink. Maybe it's, you know, telling someone you love them. Maybe it's just watching a funny movie for five minutes. Mm. Well, I don't know what it is. You know, laughter cures depression and all kinds of stuff. So maybe it's just laughing for 10 minutes, laughter <laughs> yoga, like something silly. Um, but whatever it is for you, what's a trigger that could remind you to do that? Is it setting your clothes? You know, for me, I was never a morning person. And I wanted to get myself to wake up and work out immediately in that self-mastery stage. Mm. And when I looked at it, I was like, okay, how in the world am I going to do this? Like I wake up, hit the alarm clock, roll over, put the pillow over my head. Like I don't jump out of bed. It's a joke to me. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I remember being like, okay, I'm going to make a pact and see how many days in a row into a game. I'm going to see how many days in a row I can do it. I think I can do 10 in a row and just nail this. So I said 10 days in a row, no matter what, I'm going to do it. I'm committed. It's going to be fun. Or if I don't do it, massive pain. So at the time I was in college, I had a side job. 50 bucks to me was like everything. <laughs> so 50 bucks, I'm giving it. And I said, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to think of someone I just don't like in the world. I really don't like. They, you know, they've pissed me off. They've done something. They're just a dick. Or they have horrible, horrible intentions in the world. They just, there's nasty person that I, do, I would never want to support. <laughs> I'm going to write a $50 check to them and put it in an envelope and give it to a friend and say, if you ever catch me not missing, you know, missing this day or not doing this, mail it to them. <laughs> and on top of that, I'm going to write a letter telling them how much I think they positively and nicely deserve that money, which oh, the letter wow. is so much worse than the money. I'm like, oh, I would never want them to read that. Like, oh, I would feel gross telling them that they're doing good things in the world. And I'm like, okay, that's just like nasty to me, but I'm going to do it. So I wrote the letter in a very nice letter saying how great I think this person is and how wonderful they are and how much they deserve my support. And thank you for being you. And I, I felt disgusting even writing it. <laughs> then I, I, you know, I love people, but there's some people I just don't love as much as others, I guess. And so I wrote the $50 check. I put it in a FedEx and overnight, I don't want time to cancel the check. So overnight envelope. And I gave it to somebody. I said, if, if you don't see me working out on this day and this time, you mail that shit. Don't even tell me, just mail it. <laughs> and I was like, ugh. So, and I, may, I said, I will meet you at this day, at this time, every day and tell you I'm here. And if you don't see me, mail it. But if you see me, don't you dare mail it. I'll kill you. And, and so they're like, okay, fine. And, and so I got the person who opens the gym every day or whoever was there told them like, hey, I'm going to be here every day at this time or, or mail it. And then every single day, what I would do then is make it easy. So I, I would take my clothes and I would say the last thing I put on is like my hoodie then from there, my shirt, then from there, my shorts, and from there, like my uh, compression shorts, and then from there, my, you know, what was it? That's it. So that's the order. And my shoes and socks are at the end. And what I do is line them up from my bed to the door. <laughs> I don't need to make it really easy. I don't even want to think. So I'd wake up, get out of bed, put on the compression shorts, put on the shorts, put on the shirt, put on the hoodie, put on the socks, put on the shoes, and I'm already at the front door. I might as well just go. And I was like, wow, I, I created habits, rhythm. So my trigger was wake up and just go and put stuff on, on the way. And then my, my reward for myself was I would spend about five minutes at the end on top of this hill in San Diego at the, at the University of San Diego, just meditating and being grateful and emotionally flooding myself with all the amazing feelings of life while staring out over the Bay of San Diego and the ocean. Mm. And that was my emotional reward that just felt so, so, so good. It was worth it. Wow. It's beautiful. And so I pieced together that habit. And what's crazy is I went from a kid going into high school, 5'9", 225 pounds, 
Um, I'd like to say that was muscle, but I also ran an 18 minute mile at that point in my life. So I don't think it was just muscle. <laughs> um, and you know, at this point in college, a few years later, probably four or five years later, I started running marathons. I did a triathlon. Like I turned into an athlete because I trained myself every single day to get up and go. Mm. And so that process to re-break it down, there's a, there's a trigger, the alarm went off, clothes were laid out. That was my trigger. There was a habit, go work out, have the routine. There was a reward, the emotional reward at the end for me. And that could be a physical, that could be like a smoothie or a green drink or something for someone else, mm. um, whatever the reward would be. And then there's making it easy. Eventually what I did is I found partners, community that I could count on and say, Hey, hold me accountable to be here. That person with the letter. So that's the painful consequence if not doing it. But there was also pleasurable. Like I made friends with these people. I saw them every morning. We would hang out. We would chat. We'd work out together. We had a partner. We'd train together. And so those are a few tips of community and leverage to, to get yourself to really follow through. Wow. I love that. That's very practical. Thank you. A couple of things I want to touch on before we wrap it up here. Talk, I want to talk about how do you set up a morning routine? Oh, man. Um, well, that was a morning routine. That was an old one we used. And what we mm. learned along the way is there's, there's a little bit more to it than that because the physicalness is awesome. You know, getting up and working out first thing in the morning obviously pumps you up, gets you ready for life, and it, and it really gets you there. Mm -hmm. uh, let me see if I can find an outline of our newest morning routine. This is what we do every morning now is my wife and I, again, we're in level two, stage two right now. We're figuring out what works for us, not just me. <laughs> um, and in, in this moment and stage of life, the first thing we do is we want to be connected together in the morning, but we also want to center our minds and our spirit and really be grounded. So we wake up and the first thing we do is on the other side of our bedroom here in our house, we have a meditation station. So it's a little love seat and it has a cool round like Moroccan table with all these like love notes and cards and little thing quotes things all over the place. It's just good the stuff. Oh. And what we do is we go sit on that love seat and we meditate for 20 minutes together. Mm. And it allows us to connect. It allows us to ground. It allows us to clear our space. And we have a rule that no one is allowed into that space but us. It's our mm. space. And so we have that space for each other and we have that space for ourselves. And we go there and, and, Neither of us are very good at sitting still and quiet for long periods of time. <laughs> so we use a chanting meditation. We, we love Guru Singh, who's a yoga teacher and really cool guy from Los Angeles. And so we use his um, chanting meditation and it's Ong So Hung. We don't know what that means. I'm sure it means something awesome. <laughs> it sounds pretty silly. I had someone laugh at me at a conference the other day when I said it. They sound like you said, I'm so hung. And I'm like, very funny. Um, it's Ong, O-N-G-S-O. Hong, H-U-N-G. It's, it's, it's awesome. And so it's 20 <laughs> minutes and he just sings the same chant over and over again. I think in the yoga spiritual world, it has a meaning and it does like the 21 something of mandala. It has some purpose. It's awesome. It feels good. <laughs> um, so we do that chant and for 20 minute meditation. And while I'm doing that for people who are like into meditation, I imagine flooding my body with like that golden light and I flood, you know, the first couple of so hungs, I imagine the light filling my feet, my toes, my knees, all the way up. And then I start with my chakras, with my root chakra. And I light that red root chakra up on the next ong so hung. And I see it just exploding with red light. And then the next ong so hung, I see golden light filling up to the, you know, the next chakra and then the orange light and then the, then the yellow, then the green. And I see my chakras light up while I'm doing this chant to keep my mind focused on, you know, myself filling up with energy and fueling up with that life. Mm. while physically doing the chanting and keeping myself still and centered. Mm. 
Um, so that, that's the first 20 minutes from mm-hmm. there. I jump on, I have a treadmill desk in my office, uh, which is right behind me here. And, and on that treadmill desk, it's really cool. I have my vision boards in a like U shape. So when I'm walking, my mind and is literally surrounded by my vision, my health vision, my body vision, my, my physical vision of what I want to do with the world, our mm. contribution vision, all our stuff. It's all up there and quotes and incantations and all those things are, are just compiled into these vision boards. So I go for a 30 minute walk and on that 30 minute walk, the first five minutes is gratitude. So out loud, I say everything I'm grateful for, the little stuff, the big stuff, the meaningful stuff, the everything. Mm. Um, from there, I then focus like, you know, we talked about part of our process is helping people get your long-term and short-term vision. So I spend one minute out loud stating my 20-year vision for my life. Then I spend one minute stating out loud my 10-year vision for my life, my five-year vision for the next minute, my one-year vision for the next minute, my six-month vision for the next minute, my quarterly goals for the next minute, my monthly goals for the next minute, and then my I mentally rehearse, which is different than visualization. Uh, mental mm-hmm. rehearsal I picked up from a book called The Intention Experiment, and she talked about how, let's say someone like Muhammad Ali would train for a boxing match. If he just visualized all the positive things that would happen, he would see himself landing every punch and perfectly knocking the guy out and never getting punched once because that would be bringing negative energy into his vision. Mm. But what's the likelihood that he's going to make it through an entire boxing match with a world champion boxer and never get hit. That's a joke. Like, <laughs> and if he gets hit, he's going to freak out. Cause he's like, that wasn't part of my vision. It's not supposed to happen. Ah. And it's like, no dude, like you're going to get punched. It's a boxing match. It's part of the game. <laughs> and, and so in life, what I do is once I visualized all these 20, 10, five, one, six month, one year, you know, one month goals, then I mentally rehearse the day. I see myself going through the day, first all the great stuff happening, then any challenges that might come up, I see them come up and I see myself successfully make it through them, achieving the outcome desired. So I see challenges show up. I see things that might happen that might not go my way, but I see myself getting to the moment, getting kind of stopped by the moment, Standing up, taking a breath, moving through the moment and successfully making my way through those moments. So now if they show up, I'm like, hey, no big deal. I saw it this morning. I did this successfully. Let's just do it. Move right through it. I'm done. It's over. I got it right. And so I mentally rehearse my day for five minutes. Then I spend 10 minutes doing incantations, which are those phrases you do over and over and over again to activate your mind and body and spirit. My mind really simple is, you know, I'm an open channel for God. His love flows through me, filling the room, filling the hearts, touching the souls of everyone around me daily say that over and over and over again for 10 minutes. And I change, you know, from love to passion, to purpose, to determination, the strength, to energy, whatever it is I want more of that day. I just encanted in that phrase over and over and over again. And then the last couple minutes is um, setting up the intention for the day by, I personally say a prayer. Some people like to just hold the intention or, or meditate on it. But I spend those last couple minutes while I'm walking, just saying a prayer and, and, you know, saying, Hey, I'm going to do my part. I'm going to put my heart, my soul, my life into this day. All I ask is to be guided, to be shown what I need to see, to feel what I need to feel and experience what I need to experience and and be the gift I need to be today to whoever needs it most. Mm. And then I just let go. And at that point, I'm physically and mentally and emotionally and spiritually on fire for the day. (laughs) (laughs) It sounds like it. That's awesome. That's great. And 
so now you have these morning rituals and do you have, I'm assuming you incorporate that with, um, the PM rituals with as, as couples as well. Yeah. I, I figured out, um, when we first got together, I had my morning ritual and then I would just go nonstop pretty much until I passed out. <laughs> <laughs> and in a relationship, um, that doesn't always work with the partner. Cause you know, uh, when, when I get done with the day and I just pass out, my wife's like, Hey, yo, no, 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 no. Where's the cuddle? Where's the snuggle? Where's the, how was your day? Where's the, let's talk. Where's the, you know, let's take a bath together. Or let's hang out. Or, you know, we're going to make love. Like, what are you just <laughs> busy until, Oh, now I'm done. Congratulations. I'm here. Good for you. But that ain't going to work, sweetheart. And so I remember, you know, that was our first craziness where I was like, okay, I got to figure out how to shut off. And cause my mind and, and body just goes and I am passionate about what I do. I feel like I'm living my mission. So I just don't want to stop. Are you joking? I try to make the most of every moment of every day. Yeah. And, and so I remember figuring out like, I've got to set up a ritual to transition out of this like passionate focus driven energy to a more centered and grounded energy so I can be present for my wife. Mm. And so I, I said, you know, I'm going to pick a time at some point in my day that I'm going to say that's the line that I'm going to start a, a, a decompression ritual that takes me out of the day and gets me ready to actually be back in relationship with another human being. Mm. And so mine became, you know, for two years, it was yoga every day at 5 p.m. Wow. I would, and if I missed, I'd go to six, but five, <laughs> five was the goal. And every day for two years, I went to yoga and it would decompress my mind, my body, and my spirit and make me ready to be in relationship with another human being, which was my wife. It was fiance at the time, but it would allow me to clear my mind, defocus from all the stuff I was trying to achieve, let go of anything I'd held on to that day, decompress my body and physically get the, the tension, the stress, the nervousness, the everything else out, and then allow me to just be present in the mm. moment. And so when I came home and talked to my wife, I was now present to experience her day and how she felt and everything that went on in her world. Because if I didn't take time to decompress and clear out, I was so full with my own stuff. I had no space for her. Mm. And, and that hurts. That's, you know, a lot of men fall into that category who, and, and it's a masculine energy thing that if we don't take time to empty out, we have no space to fit another in, which is really sad because sometimes you see people in a relationship where they're so full with their own life that they literally have like a life companion, but they don't have emotional or mental or physical or spiritual space for them in their life. Mm. And so that's a big, big learning lesson. And, you know, we're still new. We got married in September, so we're still new in this area, but that's a major, major component we've had to work on and make that space for each other because it goes both ways. Yeah. You have to consciously create that space. Yeah. It's uh, it's very important. I've yet to, uh, to experience that. Uh, I'm still in stage one. Nope. That, that, <laughs> hey, that's where everyone is. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. So one more thing. What are three simple questions to turn what you love into something that you get paid to do? Oh, that's my favorite. Um, <laughs> I, I, so I worked my face off for about four and a half years and I made a ton of money and I had a bunch of savings and I hit a point where I was like, wow, you know, to achieve everything you want in business, to have the money, to have the status, to, to, to reach the people, to make the difference, to build a school, to travel the world. Like I have everything, but I'm just working. Like I don't have a life. <laughs> mm. 
And, and I remember deciding for my birthday to get five friends and we did a cruise together on that same ship I went around the world on. We did a 14 day cruise. And on the ship, I was like, wow, this is cool. Like I forgot about how it feels to be on here. You know, I, I think I want to do this every year. And what I realized was, am I willing to pay for this and take 14 days off each year to do this cruise? And I was like, yeah, I'm willing to pay for it. I love it. Mm. It is amazing. And I said, you know, that my question was, how could I do this for free? So the very first step is figure out what you love, figure out something that would be worth paying to do. So you're like, Hey, I would pay to do that every single year. Cause it's worth it to me. Mm. That's the first question. What do you love to do? What would you be willing to pay to go do? Second question. I wonder if I could get, you know, do this for free. I wonder if there's value that I could add here. So much value that literally they would allow me to come on board for free every single year to be a part of this. Mm. And so I looked around and I said, well, what value can I add? You know, uh, well, I, I'm not going to physically work on the ship. That'd be, that wouldn't make it fun. And I was like, <laughs> well, what could I do? And I looked around and they had these guest lecturers on board, but their type of lecturers were like Nobel laureates, um, the Sandra Day O'Connor, the ex Supreme court, the, you know, the first female Supreme court justice. Um, they had, the Julian Bond, the hotshot lawyer for the Martin Luther King case. I was like, wow, I, I don't really fit in that category of speaker. <laughs> like these people have changed history of the US. <laughs> um, I'm like, I don't know if they would have let me talk there. But a friend of mine was like, hey, why not? Let's ask. And so we went and found the, the person who was in charge of, of all the education on board. And we told them what we did and showed them how we did it. And they said, yeah, we'd love to, we'd love to hire you on board to be a speaker for next, next ship. I was like, really? Rad. So I'm like, wow, I figured out how technically to do what I love for free. They were going to pay me, but I looked at what they were paying as a, as a nonprofit educational entity. And I said, hey, keep your money. <laughs> you know, <laughs> Thank you for the nice gesture. Keep your money. Um, just let me have a cabin on board for free and bring someone with me. And, and that's my trade for you guys. So I figured out what was my trade, what value I could trade with them in return to do what I love for free. Mm. Now, here's the third part. I looked around and I said, could I, get, could I get paid for this? Could I make money doing this? Make money going on a cruise? And I, I was like, uh, hmm. So I went back to the person in charge and I said, hey, if I brought a group with me, could I charge them whatever I think it's worth to come with me on this trip? And they're like, yeah, sure. I mean, they have to pay their cabin and everything. But besides that, you could, you could do what you like. I was like, done. And I, <laughs> it, that became our retreat. I said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to put together a seminar that I think will rock these people's universe. I'm going to then add a fee on top of the cruise fee and I'm going to bring a group with me. My room will be for free because I'm speaking for the community here on board. But then the rest of them, I'll add a nominal fee, something that makes sense, that's reasonable. And I'll bring them with me on this trip and introduce them to the world. Wow. And it allowed me to not only do what I love and get paid for it, but allowed me also to realign with that original mission I had, which was introducing more people to the rest of the world in a firsthand experience so it, they, it could change their life as much as it did mine. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. I think people need to see the world and, and take it in. It's the, I mean, travel is the best form of education. Absolutely. And we, I mean, we do badass stuff. We took them to Nicaragua and did like volcano boarding. So we, we climbed an active volcano, got to the top, took an hour and 45 minutes to climb it and took 45 seconds to get back down to the car. <laughs> I've actually done that. It's, it's a, rad. an amazing experience. It's really cool. It's silly and wild, but it's fun. 
And then we went to Guatemala and built a school and a house. Um, we went to Manta, Ecuador. We partnered with the mayor and did a Christmas party for 200 families who wouldn't have had Christmas that year. Brilliant. Um, and so we do fun stuff. We do charitable stuff. But, but that's how we answered those three questions in our own life. And we continue to ask those questions and re-ask those questions whenever we find things that we just love to do. I love that. So is that how Rapid Results Retreat came about? That was the origin. And, and mm. it's, it's pretty crazy because I remember what's interesting is I had made that promise to myself many, many years ago. And actually 10, 11 years ago now, 11 years ago, I made myself the promise that I would introduce people to that experience. And just three years ago, we went on that trip. And by asking those three questions, it literally allowed that question, you know, that promise I made myself 10 plus years ago to come true. Mm. Really crazy. Mm. Simple That's, questions, but effective. And, and it, it's neat how all the stars aligned. It's, it's how it's meant to be. Yeah. And uh, that's amazing. And look where you are today. And that's such a cool thing to see where you've come. And uh, one more question as we wrap it up. I, like to, I love to ask all my guests, what does live inspiration mean to you? Live inspiration. If I took them separately, live it is the purpose of why we're all here. We're here to live life. We're here to experience every ounce that life has to offer. And it's our opportunity to take it, take, take it into our own hand and make the most of it. Inspiration to me is if you cut the word up, it's in spirit. Meaning when you're inspired, you're living in your spirit. You're doing from your highest place of consciousness. You're living in that place and acting from that place and taking life on from your, you know, inspired or in spirit center of who you are. And it's those moments where you do things because you know they're right. Not mm. because it's easy, not because it's the easiest route, not because it's the simplest way to go, because it's the right thing to do. And when you're acting from your spiritual center, you're willing to do it because it's the right thing. You're in your spirit and making conscious decisions from there. Wow. Well so said. When you, when you tie those together, it would be taking advantage of every moment that life has to offer and being guided by what you know in your deepest core of core of what's right to do and allowing that faith and spirit to guide you to where you need to be and how you need to be doing it. Bam. Well, you, my friend, are definitely living inspiration. And I acknowledge you for living the life that you live and making the world a better place and for everything that you do. Thanks, man. Yeah. And where can, uh, where can people find you on the internet? Where can we follow you? Um, all over the place. I think the simplest thing would be Google me because <laughs> most people will spell <laughs> my name wrong. <laughs> um, it's J-A-I-R-E-K and then Robbins, R-O-B-B-I-N-S. Um, and we're on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, our YouTube channel. We do new videos every single week with awesome content in there. Uh, we have a podcast that's up that's just growing. It's pretty small right now, but it's getting there. Uh, Facebook, uh, probably if you want to keep the most in contact with us, our newsletter, if you go to jerickrobbins.com and opt in for the free gift, which is the ideal day design kit of how to design your absolute ideal day and break it down into those daily action habits. That's a free gift on our website. You can opt into our newsletter there. And then each week we'll send an email out letting you know about our newest blog update and, and you know, vlog update on the, on our YouTube channel. Perfect. Awesome. Well, get on it. And, uh, thanks for coming on the show. Thank you for having me.
Thank you guys so much for tuning in to today's episode of Shop Talk Radio with Jarek Robbins. I'm your host, Nick Onkin. And if you enjoyed today's podcast and were inspired, we'd love it if you could help us out by spreading the word, leaving us a good review over on iTunes, sharing on Facebook or Twitter, because the more people that listen, the more I can bring even bigger guests to you as well. And we'd also love to hear or see where you're listening to Shop Talk Radio. So on Instagram, go ahead and take a photo where you're listening to the episode. Tag me at Nick Onkin, hashtag Shop Talk Radio. Also, check out the new mini podcast series I'm doing called How to Create a Career in Art. We've had the first episode, shoptalkradio.com slash EP39. It is find your why, knowing and figuring out why you want to be an artist. And the second part is shoptalkradio.com slash EP41, and it is see the destination. Stay tuned for the next one as well called deconstruct about working backwards from what you want along with many other amazing guests. So with that, it's time to go out Create your moments, create your life, and go inspire somebody in your life. And with that, we'll see you next time. Yeah.